Well, today is the series finale of David OFW. OFW, for those of you first-time attenders, stands for Obedience, Faith, and Worship. And today's message is called A Noble Ending. And so open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29. Both chapters are our text today. Really? It's gonna be, that's going to be a long day. We'll get through it. We're going to read 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 26 through 30. And I'd ask you uh, to stand for the reading of God's word. Again, with the whole text being two chapters, this is actually the end of both of those chapters we're going to talk about today. And I read in Jesus' name, starting with verse 26 of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David, son of Jesse, was king over all of Israel. The length of his reign over Israel was 40 years. He reigned in Hebron for seven years and in Jerusalem for 33 He died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor, and his son Solomon became king in his place. As for the events of King David's reign, from beginning to end, note that they are written in the events of the seer Samuel, the events of the prophet Nathan, and the events of the seer Gad. Along Along with all his reign, his might, and the incidents that affected him and Israel and all the kingdoms of the surrounding lands. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just ask your blessing on this time. Let these be your words to your children now. Strengthen us for the times in which we live, these unique, incredible times. In your precious name we pray, Lord. Amen. Be seated, please. Okay, we have been studying the life of David as our premier series for 2023. It got so big that we're here in the first part of February 2024, just finishing it up. And I had to trim some, okay? I mean, we we had more we could have gotten into. The whole series, we never did talk about David and Bathsheba. We didn't talk about a couple of the other things. When David was in the cave with Saul, we didn't do a whole sermon on those things. Because I tried to show you what God had shown me, and that is there is so much more to the story of David. But alas, it is time to move on, and this is the big crescendo. This is the big show-stopping number of the whole premiere series. We watched as a boy became a man. We watched as the shepherd became a king. We have followed David across the high mountain peaks of success and into the deep valleys of defeat. We have seen him when he would shine with the glory of righteousness. And then we watched that glory get tarnished by devastating sin. And it wasn't one rise and one fall, was it? No, it was rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. We have watched David enjoy the blessings of his God and we have watched him as he endured the consequences of his sin. David's life will challenge us why? Because there's so many parables, parallels between his experience and ours. It's like a juxtaposition. We can identify with David. In this text, which is encompassing the entire chapters of 28 and 29 of 1 Chronicles, we find David at the end of the trail. 
As far as his life is concerned, he's 70 years old. He has reigned as king for 40 years. And he is about to pass the torch to the next generation. Now before he does, David has some last words for those who have gathered around him. It starts in chapter 28, verse 1. And in these words of David, these last words, we see what occupied his thoughts at the end of his life. In his last words, we can learn a lot about a noble ending to a life that was pleasing to the Lord. So let's take a few minutes and examine the last words of David through our chosen lens of OFW, which is obedience, faith, and worship. In his words, we're going to encounter some characteristics that could mark the end of our own lives. That's what this message is for. It's for you and me as we consider our journey, our path. Now, some, death is probably a long way off. So plan wisely. For some, it's sooner than later. So listen and learn from the old king. There's four points today. Let's start with point number one. It was a time of reflection. It was a time of reflection. First part of chapter 28, in in, in 28, 2 through 8, David lets us know that the last days of his life were filled with thoughts of a dream that he never saw fulfilled. David had wanted to build the temple for the Lord, but God had said no. He said no to David's dream, telling him instead that David's son, the next king, would build the temple. If you're jotting stuff down, jot down 1 Samuel 7 and check it out later. But know this, it had been an incredible disappointment to David. Evidently, it was the disappointment that lingered in his heart till the day he died. But David did not allow the Lord's no to derail him. David gathered the necessary materials to build the temple so that Solomon would have what he needed when the time came. In David's words, we see a man who died with an unfulfilled dream still in his heart. But there's something else. Don't miss this. See, David did not look back on what God had not allowed him to do with any anger, any bitterness. Instead, he looked back on what God had allowed him to do. He tells us that God had chosen him to be king. God had picked David, the youngest son of an unknown family, to be the king over his people Israel. That's right in verse 4. In verse 5 through 7, God has blessed him greatly, promising to establish his kingdom forever. What do they call Jesus? Son of David, yes? In verse six, David rejoices that God has chosen his son Solomon for this special relationship with God. See, instead of focusing on what God had not done in his life, David reflects back on what God had done in his life. In doing so, he displays an attitude that we all should have, especially when the end of life draws near. See, if we're not careful, we'll come to the end of our way bitter, disappointed, disillusioned because we did not get to see the fulfillment of our dreams. See, as we age, it becomes clear with each passing year that some of our dreams are not going to come to pass. No matter what, it's not going to happen. Last April was the 38th year in a row the NFL passed on me. I mean, check it out. I should make an Uncle Rico video or something. 
Now that's a benign example to illustrate, but let's get back real here. Many of us have some real strong feelings about what we wanted to do, who we wanted to be, or who we wanted to be with, and I could keep going. What do you do with those shattered dreams? We can become bitter because God said no to our dream. Or we can look back with joy, thankful for the things he did bring into our lives. I suppose it all boils down to this. Who do we believe has the best plan? We can sit around and murmur about what we did not get, or we can thank him for what we did get. We can blame him for what we think we missed out on, or we can rejoice in what he did bring into our lives. It comes down to a matter of sovereignty. Who is the real God in our lives? Is it us or is it him? Straight up, if you are the master of your own destiny, then don't blame God for your unfulfilled dreams. Blame yourself. If God is the Lord of your life, then thank him for what he has done because he has brought you in. He brought things into your life that were best for you. Romans 8, 28, for those of us who believe, who really believe in Jesus, this one's for us. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good, those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. For them. So I ask you today, what kind of shattered dreams are you looking back on? What kind of broken hopes have really gotten you down that still gnaw at you? Maybe you wanted more from your marriage. Maybe you wanted your children to accomplish certain things. Maybe you wanted to achieve certain goals along the way. Maybe you're disappointed in your financial success or lack thereof. Maybe you wanted to succeed in some ministry. God, I'm trying to honor you and you're not letting it happen. Maybe you had big plans and goals for this life, but few, if not none of them have been realized. And now, especially some of us older folks, we realize that many of those things will never be realized. What does that do to you? How does that make you feel? How does that make you think? What does it do to your day to day? Are you confident with where the Lord has brought you in life? Or are you bitter that things have not turned out like you planned them? The best thing to do with the past and its broken dreams is to, and you all can probably say it with me, let it go. All right, how does one do that? How does one do that? You ready? It starts with counting your blessings. It starts with praising God for who he is, the unchangeable holy God who has saved you. Thank God for where he has brought you and what he has done in and through your life. Learn the lesson of contentment that the Apostle Paul talked about. This comes from God. We don't conjure this up ourselves. Let's look at it in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 14. It says this, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Sometimes when God wants to provide for you, wants to take care of you in certain ways, it's not the way you wanted it to go. 
Has anybody else ever been bitter in the way God's chosen to provide? It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, take a look at Paul. We just read what he wrote in Philippians. I'm convinced that Paul never dreamed he would die like the way he did. But he was content to allow the Lord to have his way. Are you? Point number two. It was a time of duty. In chapter 28, starting in verse 9 and going all the way to the beginning of chapter 29, it's a time of duty. Now David speaks to Solomon. He realizes that the young man standing before him is about to shoulder an awesome responsibility. And keep in mind now, Solomon is untried, untested, but he's about to become the king of Israel. I don't know what the future has for you, but some of you are untried and untested. You need somebody to open up opportunities for you to allow you to shine. This guy's got a calling to be a youth pastor. Do you know how many pastors I know who would not allow Luke to do what he's done today? Why? Because people get all caught up in themselves. David gives us an example. He talks to Solomon who's about to take the reins of a nation and David knows that he needs a few words of instruction. And so David speaks to Solomon on two levels. One, he speaks about the relationship to God and two, his reign over the people and what that's going to be. We need people in America to be people who want to make sure that the relationship of God is filled with participation opportunities. Because when you participate, you are strengthening yourselves and you don't even know it. They say it's better to give than receive. That's true. Don't you feel better about giving a gift to somebody than you do when you're on the receiving end? Especially when you're on the receiving end of, of a great gift from somebody because God's using that as his way to provide for you. It's hard for men to just say thank you with a joyful heart praising God, but that's what we're called to do when we're on the receiving end. But it is better to give than receive. See, it's on these two levels, his relationship to God and then his reign over the people, David challenges Solomon to three things, to know God, to serve God, and to seek God. And as David challenged Solomon, I'm challenging every one of you to know God, to serve God, and to seek God because the days are getting darker. David knows that if Solomon is to be the kind of king he needs to be, then he's going to have to develop an intimate relationship with God. He is cautioned to keep his heart and his life pure. David wants Solomon to be a saved man, a serving man, a seeking man, and a sold out man. How's that for a four point sermon right on Solomon just out of the blue? David wants Solomon to be a saved man, a serving man, a seeking man, and a sold out man. David is speaking these words from experience. David knew the blessing of what, David knew the blessings, and he also knew that if he was going to be blessed, he had to stay walking with God. He also knew the pain of turning away. Therefore, he challenges Solomon, ready? Paraphrase, stay close and stay clean. Now, you know that I talk about the, uh, the book of James when he says, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. And I say, if you are saved, if you've come to Jesus, confessed your sins, accepted him as savior and surrendered your life, you, he holds you in his grip. You're as close to him as you're ever gonna be. He ain't never gonna move, but you might move. At the men's Bible study yesterday, Tony Evans gave the example 
of driving away from town where your favorite radio station is, and when you get so far, all of a sudden you start to get static, and you can't hear very clearly, and pretty soon you can't hear the voice at all. That's what some of us do with our walk with Christ. So when you stay close, that's a real thing. But understand, Jesus is as close to you as he's ever going to be. And then stay clean. See, there are the kind of traits every godly parent wants to see in the lives of their children, and we should all be striving to instill these characteristics in our children as they grow and mature. If I can just live to see my children fulfill the words of David to Solomon, I can die rejoicing. That's just me as a dad. See, there is incredible joy knowing one's children are living lives pleasing to the Lord. Then in verses 10 through 21 of chapter 28, David switches his talk to about Solomon's reign over the people. David gives Solomon the plans and the materials for the construction of the temple, and he challenges Solomon to get to the job and to do it right. Then he turns his attention to Solomon the king. He speaks of the pressures and the doubts that come along with the title of king. He reminds Solomon that no matter what the future holds, he can count on the Lord's presence, power, and promises to help him make it through. That's what authentic churches, Bible churches, good ground ministries, good truth-speaking people share with others. Is that yes, you're going to have pressures. Yes, you're going to have doubts. Yes, you're going to have shattered dreams. It's not always going to work out the way you want it to. But no matter what the future holds, you can count on the Lord's presence, power, and promises to help you make it through. What a blessed hope it is to instill in your fellow man and into your children. See, we we got to be careful not to fill our kids' heads with our own doubts and our own fear, and our own prejudices. We must teach them not to fret or worry. They need to see us trusting the Lord by faith. Now, you're hearing this from a man who wore his emotions on his sleeve for 20 years while he was raising his own kids. It got to the point where all I did was I made sure they got the word of God because their dad sure was an emotional basket case many days. But they did receive the word of God, so. See, our people... And our children need to know that God will never leave them nor forsake them. They need to know that God will guide their steps. They need to know that God will bring them safely through this life to the other side. And when I say safely, I'm talking about your soul is protected and held in the grip of the Savior. Living for Jesus ain't always the the safe, comfortable life that we hope it is. But Jesus will bring you through. You see... Much of what our children know about God, they learn from their parents. That places an awesome weight of responsibility on our shoulders. And that's part of what we're trying to do at Fresh Encounter. As a collective group, we're just very much come as you are, but we want to give you good spiritual food. Good spiritual food. My goal for Kids Encounter Church is so that the parents can be in here and be better disciple makers when they go home. Point number three today, it was a time of dependence. It was a time of dependence. In chapter 29, as we get into the middle of it, uh, and as it takes off, David challenges the people of Israel to give to the work of the temple. They do so willingly, and when they do, David lifts his voice in prayer of faith, thanksgiving, and supplication. We want to look into this prayer for just a moment. Here at the end of the road, don't miss this. Out of all I'm talking about today, don't miss this. David is still praising the Lord. 
in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 29. He still has that sweet spirit. He's able to praise the Lord for his grace, his blessings, and his sovereign power in verses 12 and 13. In verses 14 through 18, he's still amazed at what the Lord has done for him through the years. He's still praying for others in verse 19. David sets a great example for the rest of God's saints. The end of life is not a time to let up on spiritual effort, spiritual disciplines. It's not the time to stop praying. The end of life is best spent at the altar of the Lord in prayer, seeking the Lord, praising the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord, not just on behalf of you, but on the behalf of others. The end of life is the time to be confident in our closeness to the Lord. Far too many people have the attitude that they have what they have by their own power and efforts. They feel that their success in life came about by their own abilities. So many people fail to see the necessity of leaning solely upon the Lord. I pray the Lord will help me reach the end, praising his name. Thankful for his blessings, thankful for his grace, and leaning on his ways. Why? Because I was headed for hell, and he saved me. And at the start of that, everything else flows. I'm not owed anything, but by his grace, he blessed me in ways that defy belief, and it starts with saving a loser like me. I never want to get to a place where I take credit for who I am or what I've achieved in life. If you see up here a name dropper or whatever, the problem is yours, it's not mine. I always talk as if anything I've accomplished is totally a God thing, and if you knew my journey, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, why would he use a guy like you? Some just don't want to hear it that way, so I try to talk about it less and less. But one look at my life, and you can't help but see the power and glory of the Lord. I'll give you another benign example the gold records that hang in my office. The gold and platinum records were gifted to me in about six different scenarios. I didn't want to put them up, but an elder of the church said, no, you're putting them up. People like in Harlan don't think that way. He brought his impact drill and put them up. Because there are people that'll look at that and think that I'm full of myself. What do they look at you and think you're full of? Are you full of grace? You full of lies? Are you, are you full of, well, I did this? Or are you full of, I can do nothing except for what Christ gives me the strength to do? See, it doesn't matter what your attitude is. People might take you out of context and you want to know why you won't care? Because you were headed to hell and Jesus saved you. And then you want to just try to live for him. See, I want to stay locked in and dependent on the Lord. I'll still share stories. It's what we do. I mean, that's how we made our income for 20 years is telling stories. What about you? Where does God find you today? I want you to know the joy of salvation so much that you celebrate and you don't let other people's opinion of you get you down. 
because you know, you're, you know that God gets all the credit for anything that you've ever done for, in life. You know that all the blessings that are coming to you are coming from him. You know that all the shortcomings that are happening in life are his will for you, it's his plan for you. You know that he holds not just today in, in his hands, but any day that we're supposed to have on this earth in his hands. And so you get locked in and dependent on the Lord. And celebration's the key, that's point number four. It was a time of celebration as we look at verses 20 through 25 of chapter 29. David's life concludes not with sadness but with rejoicing. He leads the congregation in offering worship and praise to the Lord. They celebrate his life and they rejoice in their new king. David does not go out with a whimper. He goes out with a bang. Boom shakalaka. Lord's bringing me home. I want to be able to say that. David leaves this earth praising the Lord. The end of life does not have to be a sad time. It is possible to leave this life on a high note when it has been lived well. The only way I see a life lived well is those who have surrendered their lives to Christ. Ever been around end of life with a multi-multi-millionaire that doesn't know Jesus? Pretty pathetic. Ever been around a pauper who's given everything for Jesus? It's a celebration. See, when you come to the end of the road, still strong in the Lord, regardless of the different things that we talked about earlier as far as your hopes and dreams and your blessings and your finances and your relationships and your status and whatnot, but you're at the end of the road and you're still strong in the Lord. You're still clinging to the Lord. You're still calling on the Lord. There is no reason for sadness but for rejoicing. Now, we do mourn when death takes our loved ones. That is right and proper. Why? Because they will be missed. However, when we mourn, we do so for ourselves because we know that we will miss them here. But if they knew the Lord, we don't mourn for them because we know where they are. And there's a lame phrase that I've heard overused in different scenarios for funerals. Ah, they're in a better place. I've had the privilege, and it is a privilege, to officiate dozens of funerals. And every time that that person had a testimony in Jesus, it's a celebration. And when no one knows if they were saved or not, there's always this uncomfortableness. See, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this. It says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. And then we can know that everything is far better than we could possibly have. Revelation 21.4 says this. Jesus, he, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. See, in this passage that we're talking about with David, it's a dying man who is rejoicing. David seems to have no fear regarding his impending death. He does not seem upset by the fact that his earthly journey is about to be over. Why? He knows the Lord and he knows where he's going. That kind of knowledge gives great comfort. We, have a, we live in a society that'll tell us, you're just dealing with your imaginary friend. Uh-uh. Imaginary friends don't show up with power all the time over the last 25 years to show me that he has got this. 
miracle after miracle, testimony after testimony, not just in my life, but in the lives I've I've had a chance to see. Many of you can say the same thing. It always tweaks me a little when I meet a person who is afraid of death. I'm not talking about disconcern, because we all have that survival instinct. I'm talking about somebody who's just terrified of death. Makes me wonder where they stand with God. See, the believer knows that God has promised to bring his, chafe, his children safely out the other side at the end of this path. The path that you've walked. You know Jesus. Not your own strength, but his. He pulls you through to the other side, and you know it. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this. That is why I'm suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. The word prison in that sentence. What's your prison? What prison have you locked yourself in? You don't have to be there. And if God keeps you there for his purposes... You're not ashamed of it, for you know the one in whom you trust. Is it a physical prison? Do you have some sort of physical ailment you can't get over? Is it a financial thing? Things aren't working out financially for you? Is it a relationship thing that needs to be healed? If you know Jesus, whatever it is, you don't need to be ashamed of it. You know the one in whom you trust, and he is surely able to guard the most important thing, which is your eternal life. And it's entrusted to him until the day of his return. The end of the road is not a time to dread. It's a time to rejoice. Can you see the end drawing even closer? Some of you can. How are you going to meet that day? Will you face it with dread or fear? Or like David, will you be able to rejoice in the day of your death? When I first got here, the very first person that I got to pray for was, was Rod Bogus. The very first testimony he shared with me a couple months later was, yeah, I'm in the, if you don't know, Rod had a heart issue, he probably was going to die on his way to the Des Moines Hospital in an ambulance, and he'll tell the testimony better than I am, I'm paraphrasing, but all right, this is going to be great, I'm going to see Jesus in about 10 minutes. Unfortunately for Rod, God wanted him to be with us for a while longer. <laughs> but I can see in his countenance he's for real. He's like David. Bring it, Lord. If I stay here, great. I get to see my kids and grandkids. If I don't, I get to be with Jesus. That testimony's in our midst. It's part of our congregation. As we consider the end of David's life, let us also consider the end of our own lives. How we want to finish the race. Like David, I want to finish strong. I want to end up remembering his blessings, carrying out my responsibilities, relying on the Lord, and rejoicing in him. I want to finish like Paul. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 says this. For now I am ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all of them also that love his appearing. I wish it said, and to all of those who are saved that go to Fresh Encounter Church. Because that's what it says to me when I was reading it this week. All of those... Not to me only, not to the Apostle Paul only, but to all of them that have the last name Danielson that love his appearing. 
All of them that are in Harlan, Iowa that love his appearing. All of them that come to Fresh Road, uh, Fresh Encounter Church. Um, I, I, we shouldn't have named it Fresh. It's just it's too confusing when I'm in the moment. All of those who come to Fresh Encounter Church that know Jesus and are looking for his appearing. Within the last handful of weeks, we talked about those who look for the return of Christ. But unto all of them that also love his appearing. And that applies to those of you who know Jesus. So as I close, is there any areas in your life that need adjustment? This is the time to deal with them. And I'm talking to the saved and the unsaved. If you're unsaved, the adjustment you need to make is you need to confess your sins, recognize you're a sinner, confess to the Lord Jesus, and take him on as your Lord and Savior. And don't add him to what you got going on. It's a complete surrender to him. Not my life, but yours, Lord. Not my will, but yours, Lord. We want to make salvation and coming to Jesus this easy thing. Well, we don't want you to feel too bad. And, and so you just say this little prayer and you're in. Really? If that's how you're leading people to the salvation found in Jesus Christ, do you add abracadabra on it? Lord, forgive me, abracadabra. Boom, I'm saved. Yes, it's that easy, but it's not like that. It's you recognize yourself as a sinner. God's working his way to you right while you're as filthy as you can be. And he wants to save you in that condition. That's why it's called the good news. And you confess your sins to Jesus. You repent. That means you turn from your wicked ways and he saves you and he creates a new life in you. That's more than just saying a little prayer. Abracadabra, you're saved. But what about those of you who are saved? You've been walking with the Lord a long time. Do you need any adjustments? Now's the time to deal with that. Because like I told you, we shimmer, we shake, we wobble. I'm filled with the Spirit, but my bucket leaks. So I come back to, the Bible says, daily in keeping with repentance, his mercies are renewed each day. Are there some broken dreams you'd like to surrender to God today? Are there some responsibilities you need to fulfill? Are you relying on the Lord as you should? Are you rejoicing as the end of life gets closer? The Lord has spoken to your heart today. Come to him. Come to him. If you've never been introduced to Jesus, I'd introduce you to him. After church, come find me. I'll be around. But I want you to know that the noble ending that David had can be written on our hearts today, even if we live another hundred years in this flesh body. And that noble ending, we put at the forefront of our minds every day as we get up and we try to serve him with what he's given us. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time today. We thank you that we can be joyful and we can just praise you for all that you've done in our life. And we can give over those broken dreams to you. The saved among us can make some adjustments in prayer today, and the unsaved among us, Lord, let them seek you. Let the Holy Spirit break through, and then use those of us mature here to help any and each and every one of them as you see fit. We just praise your name today on this Sunday, Lord. In Jesus, the name above all names, we pray. Amen. Amen. Salvaged by God is the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Danielson out of Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa. For more of Chris's teaching and a couple podcasts you might like, go to freshroadmedia.com.